Well, I'm excited about making space, and I hope that many of you consider doing it. I think it'll be a blessing for your life. And so I'm going to pray. Father, I just thank you for my, my friends, my family here in this room, and I just ask that um, you would yeah, just lead us, um, lead us by the still waters. I just get a picture of him just bringing each one of us up and just leading us right there to the still waters and teaching us and talking to us. And I feel like that's what he wants to do with us today is just teach and lead and guide us. So I pray you would do that in our hearts and in, in um, every person watching today and every person in this room. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I want to start by reading out of John 13, and it says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And during supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and he was going back to God, he rose from supper and he laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel that was wrapped around him. So it says that Jesus, knowing that the Father had given him all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose, laid aside his outer garments, took the towel from around his waist, and he poured the water into the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet. And so the, the thing that's so striking to me about that passage is that it highlights how Jesus had all authority. He owned everything. He had everything. Jesus. And what did he choose to do? He chose to serve. He chose to serve not only like he chose to serve like with the most intimate part of him, you know, like he chose to serve like with the towel that was wrapped around his waist. He gave his whole body, his whole self to his people. That is leadership. That is leadership. That is someone worth following, a servant leader. Matthew 23, 11 says, the greatest among you will be your servant. And that's who Jesus was. And that's what we're going to talk about today. We're talking about in this series um, just the family values, the things that we value here at our church and the things that make us really unique as followers of Jesus. And I was thinking through the last few ones that we've talked about, and it really feels like we just keep talking about the same thing, which is Jesus is the center of our life, you know? And if Jesus isn't the center of our life, then we're going to get off. And if Jesus is the center of our life, then these values and virtues and wisdom and all the things that we're longing to come through us, it can only be found in him. So that's the sermon. That's what we're talking about today. And then also, they're all connected to each other. And so I'm, today, we're talking about humility and brokenness. But you can't talk about humility and brokenness without talking about honor and love. Because honor and love are like the roots that grow humility and brokenness in your life. You know, you can't have one without the other. So we're talking about it all, and we're talking about Jesus being the center. And when I use the word brokenness and humility kind of like interchangeably, the word brokenness isn't a bad word, like something being broken. It's actually a really beautiful thing. It's like the condition of your heart being 
moldable towards the, the influence of the Lord in your life. And so the best way I know how to describe a broken spirit in a good way is to think of a horse, you know? And so if you have this like really powerful wild horse running out in the field, there's so much freedom that that horse has. But if you brought that horse into a stable or around people, it would be very dangerous, you know? It could really hurt someone if that horse wasn't obedient to its master and it didn't even... He didn't even acknowledge a master, then it would be very dangerous for that horse to be around people, right? And so if you think of a good horse, a horse that is broken in a good way, then when the master comes to put the saddle on the horse or to put the bit in its mouth or the bridle or whatever, all the different parts of the horsey, it like obeys and it's still. And so then when the master gets on the horse, it's like, okay, so recently I rode a horse and I I am like this, I kind of have this idyllic nature where everything always sounds like a great idea or is really going to be fun. And then I like get into the reality of the situation. I'm like, wow, this is not what I expected. And so recently, like within the last six months, I rode a horse and I remember riding the horse being like, this is not fun at all. It's like painful. My knees hurt. I'm scared. I feel like this horse is going to like run me into the tree. And so like at one point, but then, but when I first got on, I was like feeling pretty confident. And so the lady was like, you know, really hold those reins tight because, you know, this horse was like a little cantankerous, you know, and I was like, Okay, we're going, you know, and then I was like, oh, I'm feeling good. I'm going to, like, get into a little trot, you know, and then he just kept going, and I was, like, so scared, and she kept saying, pull the reins, say, whoa, and I'm like, whoa, horsey, whoa, you know, and then finally she was like, turn him into this, turn him into the tree, and so I was like, turn him into the tree, and she's like, turn him into the tree, and so I, like, turned him like this, like, straight into the bushes from the trail, and that was the only way that he would stop. He was about to, like, run off with me, you know, and... I was like, oh, and so that picture of, like, the Lord, like, if we're not listening to, whoa, 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 he has to turn us into a tree, you know, so that we stop. Just stop doing what you're doing. And so sometimes the Lord has to turn us into a tree, okay? And so if you realize you're, like, running into trees, it's probably because you're not stopping doing what you need to do, okay? And so that was what my horsey was doing that day. And I, and so, and then when I, so that's brokenness, you know, just being able to like see that he has all power. Here's who we are. And so, yes, put the saddle on me. Yes, lead me, turn me this way. And then true humility looks like not even really needing the saddle, you know, like a horse and a rider going bareback, you know, and it's just like the leaning in of the knee of the master to go, okay, yeah, we're going to go this way. Oh, yeah, we're going to go this way. You know, a horse and a rider that have ridden together for so long that they just are one, you know, and that's what it's, that's what true humility looks like, okay? So that's what we're talking about today, just to have a vision. And it says in Proverbs 21, the king's, I think it's Proverbs 21, verse 21, it says, the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. As the rivers of water, he turns it wherever he will. And so that's what I want our hearts to be like. I want our hearts to be like water in the hands of the Lord, that he can just turn us wherever he wants us to go. And so I have this resource. I think it's on the website, right, the brokenness. And so we all can go to it if you can't see it really good. But I just wanted to go through um, this page. It says, what is brokenness? And it's on our, on our website, and you can look at it because I know it's probably kind of hard to see. But I'm just going to read some, like, attributes that are typical in someone who might be, like, unbroken or have parts of their life they're really working on allowing God to break them in or train them in. And so an unbroken person might focus on the failures of others. 
They might have self-righteous or a critical fault-finding spirit. Look at their own life and their faults through a telescope, but look at others with a microscope. Look down on others. Desire to be served. Desire to be a success. Desire for self-advancement. Keep people at arm's length. Quick to blame others. Concerned about being respected. Have a hard time saying, I was wrong. Will you forgive me? Deal in generalities when confessing their sin. Are concerned about the consequences of their are, are concerned about the consequences of their sin. Um, are, they compare themselves with others and feel they deserve honor. They're blind to their true heart condition, and they don't think they re- need revival. Everybody else does. So those are just a few. I just kind of skipped down. And so here's some characteristics of someone who's broken, who has been broken by the Lord in, in a good way, like like the horse. Um, are overwhelmed with their own spiritual need, are compassionate and have a forgiving spirit, are motivated to serve others, desire to be faithful and make others a success, desire to promote others, rejoice when others are lifted up. They accept personal responsibility and can see where they were wrong. They receive criticism with an open, humble heart. They are concerned with being real. They know that all that matters is really what God knows. They're quick to admit fault and seek forgiveness. They deal in specifics when confessing their sin. They're grieved over the root of their sin. They're repentant over sin and forsake it. They compare themselves with the holiness of God and feel desperate for his mercy. They walk in the light. They have a continual heart attitude towards repentance. And they continually sense their need for a fresh encounter with the Holy Spirit. So we want to be broken people, right? You know, and so many of you are all of us. I mean, where there's so many parts. And so I can go through this and I'm like, wow, I really need to work on one of these. On the, you know, so you're never going to be like, I am completely broken and I never need to work on this for the rest of my life. You know, it's like we're always going to be moving. But this is just going to give you a mindset and a framework for what it is that we're actually talking about today. And just be like, yeah, so, so often Tyler and I will pull this out and look at it, you know, through the years and, and, and take an inventory and go, wow, here are some things that, I'm work- that are highlighted here in my life that show that I really need God to, like, bring humility in my life. And so that, again, is on the website if you're interested in looking at it or you want to go through it as a life group or something like that. And so when you think about, you know, this idea of humility and putting others before yourselves, one of, one of the most interesting um, revelations are just like kind of a paradigm shift for me. I found when reading um, C.S. Lewis, it's the weight of glory. And so I'm just going to, I'm going to read this to you because I mean, who doesn't want to read C.S. Lewis in the morning, you know? And so it says, if you ask 20 good men today what they thought was the highest of virtues. Okay, so maybe I'm going to just stop for a second. Think in your head. What is the highest of virtues? Just answer it to yourself real quick. Okay, highest of virtues. 19 of them would reply, unselfishness. But if you had asked almost any of the great Christians of old he would have replied, love. Did anybody think love is the highest virtue? Several? Good. Um, You see what has happened? A negative term has been substituted for a positive. The negative idea of unselfishness carries with it the suggestion, not primarily of seeking good things for others, but of going without them ourselves. As if our abstinence 
and not their happiness is the important part. I do not think that this is the Christian virtue of love. The New Testament has lots to say about self-denial, but not about self-denial as an end in itself. We are told to deny ourselves and to take up our cross in order that we may follow Christ. And nearly every description of what we shall ultimately find if we do so contains an appeal to desire, okay? So it, almost every time that, that it talks about what will happen if we follow Christ, it contains like a reward, an appeal of something that we might desire. And so it says, if there lurks in most modern minds the notion that our own desire, um, wait, that our own desire or our own good and earnestly hope for the enjoyment of it is a bad thing. So modern day thinking might say sometimes, oh, to want to obey God to receive a reward is wrong. True humility is to go, it doesn't matter what I get. I don't want anything ever. I just want to serve you. And I'm going to go without everything all the time and, and just give, give, give. And it doesn't, I'm just going to be a little, you know, like peon. Is that, that is not humility. That's like a weird poverty religious mindset that ends up making people bitter and strange, you know? That is not the goal, okay? The goal is to know who we are in the Lord. We're sons and daughters of the Most High God. We, I mean, He's given us the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead inside of us. It lives within us. It says our inheritance is the kingdom of heaven, all that, all the riches and glory, and that is our inheritance as his sons and daughters, you know? And so to think, oh, it just doesn't matter, little old me, just you, 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 that is a false, immature representation of humility, okay? That ends up being so hurtful to your own heart, to your children, to the church, and it makes us have a strange view of God, you know? Like he wants to withhold from us and we're like his slaves or something. It's not the truth. So the truth is, it says here, I submit, okay, yeah, that, that that's who he says, that that's bad thinking is what he says next. And so he said, indeed, if we were to consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards and promises in the gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desire not too strong, but too weak when we think of what he has to give us. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in the slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Isn't that so encouraging? I'm like, yes, you know, like, so we want to be a people that go, Lord, you have so much reward for us. And, and it's okay. God created us to be beings that are motivated by reward. If you've never known that for sure, just be around a four-year-old, you know, you're like, if you do what I say, I'll give you a cupcake. And they do what you say, you know, it's like, and it's like, and if you say, if you do what you say, do what I say, I will love you. You know, I'll just, I'll be your mom. You know, that should be enough. It's not. It's not enough. You know, they want the cupcake. And so God made us that way. He made us to like be motivated by reward. And that's a beautiful part of who we are. And if you read through the scriptures, which we're going to in just one second, it talks about what happens as a reward or as a result of our obedience, our righteousness 
all the time. It's almost always tail feathered. I mean, it's almost always right there together. It's like the, you do this, you receive a reward, but it's also there on the other way too. You disobey God, you'll receive terrible bad things. And so it's like part of the simplicity, it's simple, you know? And so I'm gonna read through just a few passages. Um, so, so really when the rubber meets the road and humility, which always comes together with love and honor, you know, in our lives, it's so often seen when things feel hard or challenging, you know, or you're presented, it says, in John 16, I told you these things so that you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I've overcome the world. And so Jesus has overcome it all. So we're going to have trouble, but no, he's already overcome it. And then Deuteronomy 30, I don't have it here, but it just says, and I've set before you two, two things, life or death. So choose life. And so we, we will have trouble and we always have a choice. Say it with me. We will have trouble, and we always have a choice. We will have trouble. We always have a choice. And Jesus is what we want to choose every time, okay? And so um, it's, so in John 12, it says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Okay, so this is just sort of like breaking it down to its simplest form. We want to die with Christ and be resurrected with him so we can bear much fruit. And in, I'm not going to read all of it in 2 second, second Corinthians. It just talks about them going and despairing, even to the point of like despairing for their life. And in that place where they served the Lord as they were um, in Asia, um, they realized that God would deliver them and that he would continually deliver them. And so sometimes this humility and brokenness can only be found when we choose to step into hard situations with others, for others. And that's when we get to see this brokenness and humility really play out in our lives. And then in Matthew 5, it says, and he opened his mouth and he taught them saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. And there's several more I'll highlight if you're taking notes. Isaiah 57, 15, Psalm 51, 7, 2 Corinthians 7. All of these just talk about brokenness and humility in our lives. And so when we choose a broken and contrite spirit, a humble spirit, the word says, just to name a few, that we will receive acceptance salvation. The Lord will live in us. Revival, blessing, the kingdom of heaven, comfort, the earth is our inheritance, satisfaction, that we will bear fruit, hope, peace, unity in the body, trust, and life. And so that's a lot of really good things, you know, and what we have in store for us in heaven is so much greater than anything we could ever envy on this earth. You know, if you've ever been like, oh, look at her house, look at his car, look at her mom or dad or kids or brother or wife or friend or ring or clothes or vacation or whatever you might ever envy. If you think of heaven and all that is in store for us and know that it's your inheritance, it just kind of starts to make the things of this world grow strangely dim, like the song, you know? And so... Um, and also, so humility is easy to spot as a parent, you know? So if you've ever told your kid, hey, could you please empty the dishwasher and take out the trash? You might get a response like, well, what is she doing right now? Or I thought we were going to the grocery store. Didn't I do it yesterday? Or 
Why, and not that my kids ever say anything like that, you know, but like if they did, you know. And so then when, when, they're, when you're like, hey, honey, will you empty the trash and, uh, and the, empty the dishwasher and take out the trash? And she, she's like, sure, mom. You're like, oh, well, that's what, we, that's what we've been going for the whole time, you know. But it's like pretty, like you real, it sort of feels like this like humility, you know. But then when you like just see it, it's like that, okay, that's humility. That's like. Uh, obedient, teachable, humble heart. The opposite is, why? She's not, da, 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 I didn't. What about them? That's not, you know? So it's just another example of how you can, like, spot it, start seeing it, and then recognize, wow, like, with this, with this page that we were going over, like, is it in my life or not? And I want it to be in my life, so let's get it in there, okay? And Isaiah 59 kind of talks again about all the yucky things that will happen if you don't, if you don't choose it, and if you walk in sin. And I spent, I'm not going to teach this today, but I really recommend if you've never studied it to just take some time. About 10 years ago or so, I spent like a year studying Isaiah 59 just over and over. It was kind of a little like, you know, kind of a downer. And I would like read it to people in discipleship. I'm like, here you go. This is your life right here without Jesus. We're going to read it, you know, and it's like kind of alarming, but it says, no one calls for justice. No one pleads a case with integrity. They rely on empty arguments, they utter lies, they conceive trouble and give birth to evil, and whoever eats of their eggs will die, okay? And so I was like, that is me. The fruit of my life is death without Jesus. If you learn from me and I'm not walking from him, then it's gonna bring some terrible thing. And that's the same for you, for the people that you're teaching, your children. And so we wanna be yoked together with him like the horsey, and he's just gonna turn us this way. And the way to do that is by walking in integrity and purity, and, and we're gonna talk more about what it looks like. So I just wanted to highlight Isaiah 59 to give you vision for following him, because there is bad things that happen when you don't, and we wanna be people who do, okay? And so, how do we get there? Okay, so I have, I'm submitting to you guys these three main things that I feel like will help us as kind of a, like a, like a creed or a motto that will help you when you're thinking through what does it look like to train myself in humility and brokenness, okay? And really life with God in general. So we need a vision, and that is Jesus. And you can write Jesus or uh, Jesus and being together with the Father for all of eternity. You know, so Jesus and, and unity with the Father forever, okay? We need a vision. Our vision is Jesus and, and being with the Father in heaven forever, a code of conduct, which is holiness, okay? So it's not, even the Ten Commandments, it says, Jesus says, be holy because I am holy, you know? So our code of conduct is holiness. And last week, Billy talked about it so well, you know, to, to be, you know, we're not listing like a checklist of like, okay, so when I walk up to someone, if they say something rude, I'm supposed to take three steps back and then say, please don't say that. And then, you know, it's not like, what well, that's not what we do. We don't have to memorize what to do in every situation. We're together with the Holy Spirit, and that the Holy Spirit inside of us through Jesus gives us all the comfort and conviction and guidance that we would ever need. And then we need a transcendent cause. And so I would submit that for every believer, our transcendent cause is the Great Commission, is to go and to make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that that, that he has commanded and knowing that he's with them even to the end of the age. And so that is, I believe, just something to think about when we're, when we're going over how do we walk out in this day-to-day. -day. If we have a vision, 
who is Jesus in all of eternity. We know how to act and live, and then we have a mission, a vision, something that we're going towards, okay? And so when I was thinking this through, what kept coming into my mind was this word chivalry, okay? To be like a knight, or like Joan of Arc or someone if you're a girl, you know, like we're like girls are knights too. And um, the there's this poet, Alfred Lord Tennyson, and he wrote this really beautiful epic poem called The Idols of the King. And he talks in it about um, kind of the, the main, he illustrates kind of the, well, the first rule of knighthood, he said, is to fear God and maintain his church, okay? And so when you think of a knight or chivalry, it's really like the Christian form of a military profession, all right? Christian soldier, militant Christianity. This is chivalry, okay? And so we are all soldiers in the army of God, okay? And we have the armor of God, like it talks about in the Bible, and we also have weapons of warfare, okay? And our weapons of warfare as Christian soldiers, our love and humility and grace and honor and forgiveness, those are our weapons of warfare. And love is the most powerful weapon on planet Earth. The Bible says in Song of Solomon that love is stronger than death. It's jealousy unyielding as the grave. Many waters could not quench love. There is nothing more powerful than love. It is stronger than death. So encouraging, guys, because how many people might be afraid of dying? Love is stronger than that. It's stronger than death, and Jesus is love. He is love. And so when, when uh, Alfred Lord Tennyson, he kind of breaks down what it means, like the code of a knight, okay? So you're all ready for the code of a knight? Okay, and so it is love well, live pure, speak true, right wrong, and follow the king. When you read that, aren't you ready to jump on your horse and go, like, take the dragon, you know? And so that's what we're doing. And so every day, it doesn't matter if you're a mom and you're in self-quarantine and you're not leaving your house. You can walk this out and have a transcendent cause of the Great Commission just by loving your kids in your house and doing that with excellence. You can do that no matter what your season of life looks like. You can walk out these ideals and have a vision for Jesus, a code of conduct, and a transcendent cause, no matter what it is that you're doing. And when you're focused on these things, what happens is you're living for him, and you're living for them. You're living for others. And that always will birth and grow humility and brokenness inside of your life, okay? And so just to kind of take this chivalry um, idea a little further. I wanted to show y'all one of my favorite paintings. So you already see a painting? And so I have this painting in our house. I framed it for, for Tyler for Christmas. And I'm going to read to you a little bit about it. Just let you look at it for a second. It's called God Speed. And it's a painting by British artist Edmund Leighton. It's depicting an armored knight departing to war and leaving his beloved. The painting was exhibited in the Royal Academy of Arts in 1900. Godspeed was the first of several paintings by Leighton and in the 1900s on the subject of chivalry. And then there's a few others. The woman ties a red sash around the knight's arm. He is meant to return, a medieval custom which assured both parties that they would be reunited alive and well. The griffin on the newel post of the stairs, you see the little griffin, um, 
is a symbol of strength and military courage. And the knight departs through the castle gate with the portcullis, and others can be also seen leaving through the gate. So that's just kind of a description of the painting. But what I love about this painting, well, so many things, but I just think of Jesus and his bride and him coming back. So he's going out to battle and she's like waiting. She said, I'm going to wait for your return, you know? And it just, that's to me what I think of so much. And then I also think of ways that I can put honor and courage inside of my husband every day that he goes out just to live his life. Like what are ways that I can put courage inside of Tyler? What, what are ways that I can honor him and help him feel like the man, you know? And I want him to feel like that. And I want him to, I don't care if anyone else thinks that about him, I do. And so he gets to know that when he leaves the house, I think that he is like the man, you know? And that puts courage within him to go and conquer whatever dragon might be in his life that day, you know? And then same, same for, for, for me, me knowing that he's walking out into the day and into his life with purity in his eyes, with eyes for me only, with, with a faithful heart, with integrity in all that he does, puts p- courage and peace in me to wait for him to come home, you know? And so us honoring one another looks like living in holiness and respecting each other day to day, day in and day out. We have a vision, Jesus, a code of conduct, holiness, and a transcendent cause, the Great Commission. We love well, live pure, speak true, right wrong, and follow the king. And when we do that together, when we do that together as husband and wife, what it does is it, it gives us a mission. Like, so it's not like we're just dawdling around life, like, what's next? I don't know. Wow, it's been five years, you know? It's like, no, every day. We're doing that, and we're doing that no matter what. We're doing that on vacation. We're doing that when we're at the grocery store. We're doing that in the mundane things in life. That is leading and guiding us all the time so that when you're on a mission together, don't you know you're always more effective? You know, so David left the battle, went back, and, like, that's when he had the big trouble with Bathsheba because he wasn't, he left the front lines, and he was just, like, not engaged in the battle that God had called him to. And when we, when, we, um, when we get disengaged from the battle in our marriage, in our family, in, our, in the church, we, like we've been called to like on a mission, when we disengage from that mission and step back into passivity and we're not going together to advance, advance the cause of Christ, we start to tear ourselves asunder. Okay, with petty grievances and offense and the little foxes that tear up the vineyard, you know, that's what happens. This infighting in the church, in our families, and in our marriages when we're not on a mission together. Okay, and so the mission is the Great Commission, you guys. So until Jesus returns or until we go home, it is incomplete. So you never, I mean, it's just always part of what we're doing. And we can, and we can be faithful to it when we're resting, when we're out sharing the gospel with someone, when we're playing Catan or, or Farkle or whatever we're doing all the time. He, it's part of who we are. Okay. And so um, practically some of the ways that I help train this into our kids or that we could work on training it together is um, I say to my kids all the time, I don't know if any of them are here, what is life's greatest goal? What is the goal of life? What is the goal of life? 
And I hope that they can always answer really quickly. And the answer that I have taught them to give me is to be a blessing. What is the goal of life? To be a blessing. What is the goal of life? To be a blessing, okay? And so whenever we walk into a room, I'm like, hey, why don't you ask this question? What can I do to be a blessing? If you're walking into dinner with someone, if you're walking into the bathroom, if you're walking, what can I do to be a blessing? And I'll have them go up to the person that we're at their house, my mom or whoever, hey, Didi, what can I do to be a blessing? And so they're learning all the time that my purpose is to bless others. And I tell them, I said, God gave you your body to be a blessing to others. And I had, the other day, I could tell that my four-year-old was like getting this. She was like, well, how is your hair a blessing? How is your eyes a blessing? How is your hands a blessing? Like she was like, if God gave your whole body to be a blessing, then, then how can my hair be a blessing to someone else? And I was like, well, so that kind of stumped me. And I was like, well, I mean, if I do good at brushing my hair, then dad will think it's pretty, you know? And if dad, and she was like, oh yeah, that's a blessing, you know? <laughs> and so it was funny, but like, just like teaching that all that we do, all of our life was given to us so that we can be a blessing to others. Okay, and then one time I was going and I was taking, I was taking a nap with, my, with Gwyneth, same daughter, and Madeline, my youngest, was sleeping in the three big. I was like really trying to get them to spend time together. And so I was like, y'all have to do something quiet that everybody wants to do for 45 minutes while I lay down and take a nap with, with Gwyneth. And so I like wake up to like a door slamming and people screaming and everybody crying. And I'm like, oh no. And I like go, the, the boys don't want to play with me. And you know, they're all fighting. And I was like, okay. And so I set them down and I, I, gave, I don't know, this just sort of came out of me. And then it sort of become like this thing in our family. But I just said, if you had like a whole handful of diamonds or rubies, would you just toss them on the dirt and like walk away? And they were like, no. And I was like, what would you treat them like? And somebody was like, we would treat them like a treasure. And I'm like, that's right, because they are a treasure. And so I was like, look at your brothers and sisters. Y'all are a treasure. You're a treasure that God gave you. So you have to treat each other like a treasure. You have to treasure each other and find ways to look and, and, and serve and treasure one another. And so that's just another phrase. Yeah. What can I do to be a blessing and to treat people like a treasure that they are? And so... Then with Tyler, um, one more story about us. I, our first year of marriage <laughs> was, you know, our first year of marriage, like everybody has. And it was like almost one year in. It was New Year's Eve, and he was so frustrated with me, and I had no idea why. And so this came along kind of often where he would kind of stuff his feelings, and I would be like, what's wrong? Tell me more. I don't know. And he's like, leave me alone. Leave me alone. Leave me alone, you know? And so he's like sitting there in the bed, like it's like midnight. We were like, happy New Year's Eve or happy New Year, whatever. And I was like, what is wrong? I just know you're mad and I don't know why. And I just feel like I've done something. And he was like, he probably didn't even really know why either, you know? And he was like, you want to hear? Do you want to hear what's wrong? And I'm like, yes, I've been asking you for like a week, you know? And he was like, it's just really bothers me that you leave the pillows on the floor all the time, you know? And I'm like, that's it, you know? And he's like, yes. I mean, it's just like, do you care about the things that God has given us? Like, or Ashley, like, pick them up and put them on the couch. How hard is that, you know? And I'm like, oh my gosh, I didn't know. I didn't, uh, I didn't know, you know? And so, like, from that point on, like, you better believe that I was, like, picking the pillows up and putting them on the couch. And so this is just such a silly example, but I felt like it might drive home for someone that, like, just being 
at like being aware of what bothers other people, even if it doesn't bother you. You know, at every family has one. I know that you're all thinking of yours. If it's the t toothpaste in the sink, or if it's the whatever it is in the marriage, you know, where you're just like, why? Do you have to do that, you know? And so instead of just keep doing it in your marriage, just stop doing it and like honor what the person desires, like even if you don't think it's that big of a deal, you know? Because if it'll always just go better in your marriage if you do if you do that, you know? So that's an example of honor and love that will be the roots of a humble, broken heart in your life. You know what I mean? Just like that's how it works out day to day um, in your life, okay? And so um, I think that that's, that's pretty, pretty well most of the family, the family practicals that I wanted to share. One more that um, kind of comes to mind when I think on the practical level with kids and then also together with, with the church is, have you ever had an experience or like when you were growing up where maybe there was a book in your family's house that was like a history book or something and you just flipped through it and you like kind of saw a picture of something that was a little like, graphic or, or you just came across something that your eyes weren't ready to see, you know? I'm pretty sure everybody's had an experience like that, whether it was on a billboard or in a, in a book somewhere where you were just like, oh, I, wow, I didn't expect to see that, and it kind of disturbed me. And so we had a experience like that in our family recently, and I was talking to this child, and I told them, I said, there will be times in our lives where our eyes see things that grieve our heart. And that's sad, and I wish that wasn't the case, but it's true. It's a part of life. You can't shield your children from that forever. You know, you would want to, but you can't. And I told, I told this child, I said, but I want you to know that you can walk into our house, and you can look under every bed. You can look in every drawer. You could climb up to the very top of every little nook and cranny of our closet, and there is nothing that you're not allowed to see that our house is safe for you. And I'm just telling you that as, as like the leaders here at this church, that it's the same for you in my life, in our life. Like our, what we do with our finances, what we watch on TV, how we you know, teach and train our children, how we talk to customer service people, how we follow the traffic laws. Like it's not like we're perfect, we're gonna make mistakes, but like in the nuts and bolts of the integrity of our house, it is holy, we, we don't bring things in that grieve God's heart. And if we realize they do or find conviction about them, we get them out as fast as possible. Do you know what I'm saying? Because that's not what we do in the house of God. We don't bring things in that are idols of other, of other gods, bring things in that grieve his heart. We get them out and we want it to be a safe place for children where they can open up any book and flip through it. They can look at the history on my phone. They can look at the last thing I watched on TV. They can overhear me having a conversation about someone and still love and honor that person. Do you know what I'm saying? The things we say and do when no one else is around are the things that build humility and honor in our lives more than the things that people see. You know, and so that is what builds a stable house. That is what builds a safe family. And so we want to be people that live that way and then look at each other with honor. And so when I look at you guys, I was telling a group recently, my dream of my heart would be that every one of your dreams came true. And so what if we all fought that way? What if we all said, I want to live so that your dreams come true? And so these are some of the things that I look at when I think of our church, and this is what I see as dreams in your hearts, even if you might not know they're there yet, okay? And I want you to know I'm praying that they come out. I feel like there's all these things and so many more in our church. So I see thousands of natural descendants on earth. 
I see creative ideas for clean water in impoverished countries. I see systems to love the poor and to break the cycle of poverty, especially through education and sports. I see people anointed to stand post as our government of leaders and officials to shape the policy of our land. I see ballet studios, restaurants, life-saving medical breakthroughs and discoveries. I see counselors with healing words. I see builders, architects, to make the world around us strong and beautiful. I see mothers and fathers, sons and daughters, and friends. I see the church. That's what I see when I look at you. And so why don't y'all all stand, and we're gonna have the band come on up, and I wanna take a moment just to, to think through having a vision for Jesus, a code of conduct, a transcendent cause, and for us to be people that love well, live pure, speak true, right wrong, and follow the king. And when we do that in our personal life, in our family life, and in the church, then together, we are the army of the Lord, you know, our soldiers in Christ and our weapons are love and humility and grace. And so each one of us dreaming the dreams that he's put inside of us can go out and truly restore our city and the, and the cities. You know what I'm saying? It really is possible. It really, really is. And so I wanted us as knights in this room to, to think of one way in the next like 24, 48 hours that we can serve someone, that we can step out and act so that brokenness and humility can start to be growing in our hearts. And so as we end this song, I want you to just think of one way and you can write it down in your journal or put it in your phone or tell a friend, but I want you to move and act, whether it is serving someone in your family or serving someone you do not know, um, one way that you can serve others and uphold the ways of the Lord. Um, and so I want you all to do that as we worship, and I'm going to just read to you our vision, our vision for heaven, okay? So our vision is Jesus and being together with heaven, and so I just want you to let this wash over you as we, as we close. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death, no more mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away and he who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all of this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. I did not see the temple in the city, because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. 
The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. So we thank you, Father. We thank you for heaven as our vision through Jesus Christ alone. And I ask that you would give us hope in our hearts to approach each day with a vision, with the code, and with, the, with a transcendent cause, and that we would be people who love well, live pure, speak true, right wrong, and follow our King, and that we would ha- love and honor in such a way that um, our roots would be deep, and that humility and, and uh, brokenness would be all around us, and we would, the church would um, go out and transform the world around us. So I do just ask right now for every heart as we worship that you would bring to mind one specific thing that they could begin to practice or do this week to honor the people around them. In Jesus' name.